Everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson. We are The Last Nighters. You can find us on the Liberty Movement's YouTube channel and also at lastnighters.com. This is going to be episode, what is it, uh, 164 of this year's show. So you can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 164. We're going to be doing the Italian foreign language Oscar-winning film from 2007, Life is Beautiful. And if that sounds familiar, it's because just a few weeks ago, we did another Oscar-winning film, foreign film, uh, when we did The Lives of Others. We made a pit stop in Chinatown for Big Trouble in Little China with our buddy Snobby Bobby of the Not For Everyone podcast. But now we're back at uh, Oscar-winning foreign film flicks uh, that happen to be based in uh, fascist regimes. So, you know, that, put that in your trivia and uh, win, a, win a few... <laughs> pennies so anyway uh, our guest is olaf the anarcho viking he's been on many times in the past uh, his first episode was the outlaw king a couple of years ago he also did uh, Snowpiercer and uh spirited away and most recently was on for the purge which we did right around election time uh olaf welcome back to the show we always have a good time with you and uh, uh welcome back uh, oh yeah it's great to be back again and uh yes there's no snow here um, the other day I took my daughter to swim lesson and in the pool, which is outside in about 80 degrees weather. So it's, no, it's, it's nice. And I'm sitting here in my screen porch and enjoying the, you know, cooling down weather during the evening. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty nice actually. Um, so yeah, everything you said is pretty spot on. Um, it's probably the best state in, in the, uh, you know, uh, kind of semi- free quasi-fascistic in some places country that we live in now but it's okay here in florida so if anybody wants to come down here i'll highly highly recommend moving uh, as soon as possible right yeah and, and that's something we've been looking at uh moving to a freer location and florida even though it's like the furthest one away mm -hmm. uh, it does look to be the most desirable at this stage of the game. And now you, of course, have lived in um, other states in the union, and two of them are the least free, as far yeah. as I'm aware. So there must be quite a contrast for you. Big leap. Yeah. And before that, I, I lived, I grew up in Sweden, which is, you know, I mean, you can argue it's more somewhat more free in some areas and less free in others. But overall, I think it's probably on net a little bit less free. Um, so it's not, you know, uh, Florida is by far. The, the, the best um, place when it comes to uh, having choices. Um, I mean, it could, it could improve. We could be better on, I think we're not, we're kind of mediocre at guns and stuff like that. Um, but, um, you know, so there, there are definitely areas where, and the weed, people want the weed, right? I don't really care about the weed, but uh, that's probably, if you, if you, if you want to do drugs and stuff like that, it might not be the best thing. Right, right. But in, in other respects, it's it's yeah. more free. Though, if I recall, there was a governor election a couple of years ago that was pretty close. And oh, very close. Yeah, no, we had a terrible... <laughs> I mean, it was... Uh, <laughs> the other guy won. I mean, you can look him up, look him up yourself. Um, Gillen, um, who was the mayor of Tallahassee, I think, uh, the most criminal city in, in, the, in, the, in Florida, who ran against DeSantis, and he was in the lead, and almost won and i think the cent is won by less 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 than a percent like it was like half a percent or something wow, wow. it was pretty close and that, and that guy like a year ago or something I, I can't remember how long he was he was found in a miami beach hotel room with you know overdosed on methamphetamine with with a um homosexual prostitute uh, right there also so yeah that's kind of 
person who almost governed us. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that goes back to my, my whole, one of my arguments against elections is, well, if you're going to invest that much power, uh, mm -hmm. look at how close you you got to uh, getting someone like that who, you know, who knows what, what uh, policies they would have enacted. But uh, oh, we would have we would definitely have lockdowns right now. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. It would have been a terrible situation here. Um, so, yeah, see what difference that can make. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we should probably get this uh, episode started here. And how we do that is with the old Google description. So I'm going to share my screen. Let me see if I can get this to work properly. I'm a little bit um, aged these days and things flummox me, but I think it's showing up for everyone now. So Life is Beautiful came out in 1997. I think I said 2007 uh, earlier in the show. I was I was way off by a decade. Uh, this came out uh, 1997, like I just said. PG-13, it's a war slash romance film, two hours and two minutes, and it's almost two films in one. At least that's how it kind of plays as you watch it. You got uh, 8.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 80% Rotten Tomatoes, 59% Metacritic, but 94% of Google users liked it, and so did the Oscar committee. The description reads, a gentle Jewish-Italian waiter, Guido Orifice, played by Roberto Benigni. Am I saying that right, Olaf? I know he's one of your favorites. Roberto Benigni? Benigni. Uh, Roberto Benigni. Yes, that's right. Roberto Benigni. Benigni. Yeah. Benigni. Uh, <laughs> meets Dora, a pretty school teacher, and wins her over with his charm and humor. Eventually, they marry and have a son, Glossu. Their happiness is abruptly halted, however, when Guido and Gusu are separated from Dora and taken to a concentration camp. Determined to shelter his son from the horrors of the surroundings, Guido convinces Gusu that their time in the camp is merely a game. The release date in the U.S. was October 23rd, 1998. Director and star is Roberto Benigni. Uh, it won an Academy Award for Best Actor, and I think he also won um, Best Foreign Film, something like that. Uh, so he did fairly well with this one. And uh, Robert, I will go to you for your opening, as I'm sure there are a couple of interesting things that uh, you would like to talk about on this one. Well, I think my criticism of this movie is going to mostly focus around. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know. Let's just I guess I guess I'll just get into it. So Bella Vita. Um, life is beautiful. It, I've yeah. never seen it. Never. Oh, very nice. That's that good looking. Um, I've never seen it before. Although I remember when it came out or when it like hit the Oscars and it was a big story that Roberto Benigni, you know, gave this big passionate speech or something like where he was like super stoked to be there and just soaking in all the adoration and that kind of thing. And I guess that kind of colored my perception of what to expect with this. Like I expected something kind of groundbreaking for the time. I didn't expect what it is, which is a real throwback film. It is definitely something that almost copy pastas, some kind of comedy from the twenties or the thirties and brings it into kind of the modern era a little bit, but but with the direction style of very flat, unmoving cameras, it feels like a TV show. So it really, to me, it felt like this could have been made 50 or 60 or 70 years ago and then colorized. And I, I mean, it was, it's, it's a fun little story 
in that the, the main character has a lot of charm and he's kind of a almost a caricature of a human being where he's just eternally positive and happy and clever in a kind of a simpleton way. You know, he's not like super smart, but he kind of makes things work in his own little special way. So he does have a certain amount of uh, charm to the audience. Like I did like him and uh, I did like the way he solved problems, although they kind of fell in his lap a bit, like the way they told the story. So they, they set things up for the hat bit and then uh, the riddle bit. And you know, then they had payoffs later on where yeah, it set up they just kind of like all day long. <clears throat> yeah. They were setting it up and they're paid off and they, and they paid off in a kind of clever way, but not in a way in which the main character kind of orchestrated more of like, Oh, here's an opportunity. Perfect, perfect timing, perfect happenstance. And then, Oh, okay. It's, it's going to work out. And then, Oh, there's an idea. And then I solve it. And for the audience, or at least for me, it was kind of fun, but it didn't really lend me to a very uh, <clears throat> protagonist protagonist, like a protagging protagonist, like what someone that really drives the story through their choices and that kind of thing. It was more like this is falling into his lap due to a result of his likable character. So he's kind of doing it, but he's not doing it through his choices. He's doing it just more of who he is as a person. So it's, it was okay. I mean, I liked it, but it, the story seemed kind of like it was just falling all over the place in that sense. Like it wasn't really directed, if that makes sense. But, um, you know, it, it, it's something like this I had never seen before. I I have to say, though, that if if this movie had intended me to laugh, that was not succeeded in any way. Uh, there were seemed to be some kind of slapsticky moments in the beginning of the movie. And then here and there where he falls down a little bit and there's some Pratt falls and there's one scene where he's like holding up a dog. Uh, they were kind of cute, but they seemed really like quaint, you know, like something that would have really enamored an audience from 80 years ago. So mm. I maybe other people felt differently, which is great. Uh, if you, you were charmed by that, fantastic. If you really laughed, wonderful. But for me, it seemed like those kind of things fell flat and I was left more with, um, a fun kind of charming little movie that ultimately left me feeling a little bit hollow. Like there wasn't the big heart that I was hoping for, but that, those are my opening thoughts and uh, feel free to uh, dissect or destroy. All right. Well, Olaf, I know those are a lot of those are fighting words because uh, you were telling me before the show. And when we first started talking about doing this movie, that this is one of your favorite movies. It's a beautiful film. And uh, Roberto Benigni is uh, one of your favorite actors. So, um, you know, make your case. Uh, maybe maybe Robert would be able to watch this again with fresh eyes after hearing your arguments. Um, I will comment a little bit that, Robert, I think that old style, I viewed that as it feels like a foreign film. Like it just has that feel of like it's not, a, a, you know, U.S. film. And uh, it also felt like it's two films kind of smashed together. Like you had that first one that's like setting up him as a person and his kind of affability and likability and his wit and charm and, and finding those situations that pay off for him. Um, and then they contrast that with the second half of the film where he's now utilizing those skills that have been presented and the relationships forged in the first half as his kind of motivation for the second half and dealing with the horrors of it. So that's kind of like how I was sort of viewing this one. Um, and then um, 
Well, I, I have some notes, but uh, I'll go to you, Olaf, because I already asked you a question, and then I side sidetracked you a little bit. Yeah. So, no. Okay. So, first of all, I mean, yes, it's maybe maybe my absolute favorite film. Um, and Roberto Benigni might be my favorite actor ever. I mean, he's, he's also a stand-up comedian. Um, and uh, it's not just that it's an Italian movie. This is, it's it goes deeper than that. This is like a proud Tuscan movie. This is like a Tuscan movie. It's, you know, this is Florence. This is uh, where, he, where he comes from. This is, you, and, you, and it really comes out in the movie. But I understand what Robert is saying. And it, it gets to me now when I hear him say this and, and, and the critique, because you cannot translate all of this that he's saying, okay? It's impossible to make this appear um, in the same way if you watch, like if you just read the subtitle. Like I don't watch this movie with subtitles. I watch it in Italian because it is so good. When he, there's, there are these um, characteristics in like the, the, where it comes out, like the Tuscan dialects and the ways of saying things and the ways of like, um, putting out words and behaving that it, that makes the movie so brilliant, um, but it's it doesn't come off that way. You can't translate everything, and it's not going to be as funny. So I, I I I get that aspect. It's hard to properly um, uh, take it in and enjoy it unless you fully understand like where where he's coming from, and and uh, you know the way they speak. Uh, certain dialects and stuff like that, the way they use words and the way they behave, uh, that's, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, um, like, I, I, I get that that's, that, that doesn't translate very well and it's not as funny uh, unless you, unless you, um, unless you speak and understand the language. But right. and you spent yeah. time in Italy and, and speak Italian. So yeah, this, yeah. you're that's, able to yeah. receive this differently. Yeah, very much. And I lived in Florence and I, I you know, I, I can, I can just imagine what this was uh, was like. Uh, but the the genius of the film itself, in which um, it has been criticized for, is that it takes this really, really tragic event and it turns it into something funny. Like this, Roberto Minion is a brilliant uh, stand-up com com comedian in Italy. Uh, and they um, they make it, so it, it into a, a, um, a case where you can laugh at these things. And it's cathartic, cathartic in a way, and uh, and I think that's that's why people love this movie so much, because it has made it has turned this really uh, horrible thing in in um, in human history and made it into something that is, is it, yeah, in many instances, is really funny and like he he makes people laugh. He makes people laugh in in this tragic situation that we revisit. And makes um, you know he makes comedy out of it. It's it's just uh, I mean it's hilarious. There's so many there's so many instances in that in that movie where 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 this comes off and where you just have like have to smile at least or laugh out loud when he's like oh this is how he's doing this you know <laughs> uh, so no that's uh, that's why what's so uh, what's so great about it you know there are these um, regional specific like characteristics that you can that you can spot and you recognize and they're funny. Uh, how language is applied and behavior and all of that, but it's also how they have made the movie. I think it's absolutely genius how they're taking the idea of, of the Holocaust and like just turning it into a, a, a funny film like that it is. 
Yeah, I was reading that there was a little bit of controversy about that because some people equated him making light of it or making comedy related to it as almost a denial. You know, like that's like the gut reaction to to things. It's almost like calling somebody racist, like, oh, you're just a denier or whatever. Right. Um, but I think that he spends that first half of the film sort of building up the character and and filling in the comedy that will then pay off later. Like this movie is all about setups and payoffs. And I, I know that Robert and I have talked about movies in the past where there's like all setup, no payoff. And that's like so excruciating because <laughs> you're yes. waiting for this thing to happen and then nothing ever happens. But this movie is like bang, 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 like all the way through. But but I think it has to have that established first half so that then it makes sense in the second half that he is this way. Yeah. Yeah. And there, he, he uh, you know, he puts... You know, he puts out. He sacrificed himself for his kid. You know, at the at the end of the day, too, he makes everything for his kid. You know, it doesn't matter how how much he suffers and what he's going through. He always makes the child feel, you know, okay, comfortable, and not not wanting to leave the camp. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, and um, yeah, exactly. And and it, it received some some criticism, but like, look, comedy is subjective. Why why wouldn't you be able to laugh at something like this? You know, the, the, we're supposed laughter uh, can make people get over things like this. Also, um, yeah. obviously, it's widely appreciated, uh, even even in the Jewish community. So I'm not sure what what uh, what all the um, you know hectoring is about. Yeah, and what's interesting yeah, is a lot of that backlash is from like when this was made in 1997 or whatever. I can only imagine if they try to make a movie like this now. Like context certainly matters, but yeah. in today's outrage climate, context doesn't seem to matter anymore. So like the the scene where he's uh, pretending to be the uh, school inspector and he's supposed <laughs> to give this presentation on like race or something and superiority, and yeah. he gets up there and he's like, "Look at this belly," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, but I, I, I can imagine that that would uh, not be doable today. But anyway, right. uh, Robert, I'm going to get you in on this. You were about to say. Oh, I was just going to chime in and say that uh, I did watch the film in the dubbed version so I could see what Olaf was talking about with the nuance of translation and, you know, the, him speaking in the certain dialects would be lost with a, an English, you know, dub. So that I could see, I'm sure... I, it still seems like a bit of a throwback, though, because it, it felt very much. I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Olaf, but there's a TV show back in the 70s, I think, maybe the 60s uh, called Hogan's Heroes. And it was all a bunch uh, about a group of POW survivor, you know, camp inmates. And it really took the piss out of German uh, guards, making them look really stupid and I felt that this movie kind of did the same thing. It really kind of it the the Germans weren't so much scary as they were kind of oafish and stupid. And then even when he was like going to get caught, I didn't feel like a real sense of danger. Like he was clever when he you know the, the little boy said thank you, and then the guy ran away to get like the bigger German guy. And then he was teaching everybody, thank you. Like, he's clever, but I never felt that sense of like danger. So I could see why people would, you know, feel like this movie was somewhat offensive in the sense that you're kind of making light of a very dark situation. And I can understand, you know, anything's fair game in comedy. I don't, I don't care. But it did, like, 
it, it, like there wasn't this sense of danger. I'll just put it that way. Even though he was doing all these things to protect his child because certain death was imminent for both him and his kid and there was massive risk at all times. I don't think that movie really conveyed that sense of foreboding, maybe because the tone was just so light. Did you, do you have any sense of what I'm talking about here? Uh, I, I'll, I'll chime in just real quick and then I'll go to Olaf. Um, I wonder if that was maybe intentional because then it makes him getting gunned down in that alley like really stand out, you know? But does it though? Because that happened off screen. Like I yeah, wasn't yeah. even sure he was really dead. Well, it happens off screen. And at least I felt when it happened, like that's that's what won at the Oscar. That's the thing that was like, all right, we've taken this film that we've built up this whole way. And then we go into the second act and now we're in the in the camps. And now it just got real right at the end there. You know, that's that's the thing that kind of kicked it over. And but like, did, that's the did it really hit moment. you? Did that really yeah. hit you in the feels? Because to me, it felt like some kind of surreal, like I wasn't even sure. Like, I didn't know who was going to come out. Was it going to yeah. be the soldier with the, the gun or was it going to be him with just like running away, scampering away, doing some kind of like Jim Carrey impression? I wasn't sure. Right. Yeah. And I think that's you're, you're almost hopeful that he's the one that comes out of that alley. But then he doesn't, you know. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I, I got issues with that. I I wanted to ask you if if he's like father of the year candidate or <laughs> if he should have if he should have fought that guard and he should have, you know, worked on those escape attempts and done some other things. I don't know. I think probably he was father of the year because he isn't a fighter. Obviously, he's this lanky little weird comedian guy. But I don't know. I I I I. When I get into put into those kind of situations, I have a very much fuck you mentality. I have a very much like you have no right to do this. I'm going to fight you with every breath I have. Now, he was doing what he had to what he thought he had to to help his child survive. I can understand that. So I'm not a father. Let me pose the question to you two fathers. What do you think? Do you think he's father of the year here or were there some uh, room for uh, mistakes there? All right, Olaf. Yeah, I mean, it's sure he could have maybe give it a give, give it a little bit of a fight but i think he he knew that his time was up he knew that he was going to die he knew that when they were going away with those trucks that they were just taking them away and killing them right um that's why he said you know jump off jump off this truck jump off those truck and his wife i think must have done that because she survived right and you see her at the end of the movie um but yeah they're not you know really getting into details of of people getting murdered here because it's also a movie that should, you know, I think it was intended for a larger audience. Um, maybe, you know, for smaller, um, you know, children too. And, um, because, you know, you can see once they get into those camps and, and the wife Dora, and she looks over and she says, but where are they taking the, the, isn't it good that the, um, the, the old and the children don't go to work? And they said, well, and then the other woman says, well, they, they, they go to the gas chamber and they kill them. Yeah. Right. So, and then she looks out the window, but you don't see anything about the gas chamber. Right. So you don't see these horrible elements. And I think that's part of the idea because it's not supposed to highlight that, but it's supposed to take something that everybody already knows was a horrible, tragic um, event in human history and making it lighthearted and, and something that people can also laugh at. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's intentional. 
but I don't know. I, I feel, yes, I think you're right. That <laughs> maybe he could have put up, you know, nothing to lose anymore. He knew that he was going to, he knew that those were the last steps that he were taking. He knew that he was going to get killed. And yet he is, you know, showing his kid, you know, pretending that he has no fear, basically walking away. It's like, yeah, we're winning 60 points and we have the thousand points and you get your carro armato, you know, the, the tank. Um, so, yeah, but both father of the year, but also, you know, <laughs> maybe I, I would have acted a little bit different, tried to be a little more desperate perhaps, but yeah, uh, I got to agree for the most part though. I did take some issue with just the nature of his, uh, fancifulness lended himself to a lot of, uh, misrepresentation of truth and sort of like embellishment, just even in the first half of the film. And I think for me, I would have been a little bit more upfront with the kid, even though he was four years old. My, my kids are five and seven. And I mean, they understand a lot of stuff more than most adults do in some, in some respects. Um, so I would have had a hard time like lying to them like that, though. I do get the, the intention there is to, you know, make the situation, not like freak out, freak out the kid and help him get through it with like a, you know, keep a positive outlook and whatever so that the kid doesn't just freak out and get in total despair. Um, and I think that there was also uh, a lot of, yeah, they're not going to show you all of the horrors directly, though there were moments like when he's going through the courtyard in the fog and then he sees just the pile of bodies. I think that's where you know you're like reaching the, the danger point because um, that's, that's like foretelling him, you know, that the end for him is very near. So I don't know, did that, did that um, stack of bodies, it looked like, you know, a backdrop. So it didn't look real, but I think that was maybe just like part of the style and, and sort of intended to be that way. It's supposed to be like in a theater production where you're like representing something that's just massive and, um, but they didn't want to like make it seem like CGI, a big stack of bodies, that kind of a thing. I don't know. Not sure what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say here, but I feel like that was the where they were kind of building up that danger element that wasn't there before or as much before. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. It's I'm glad this movie exists. It's an interesting departure because this came out what five years after Schindler's List, very different in tone, but basically covering similar territory. I mean, not totally different movies but set in the same place, essentially. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, there's something inside me. And this is, this has always bothered me about history and human nature in general. Is it, we're, we're far too trusting of a people of a, of a species where you've got these people that are just being led to their deaths. Just, just, just accepting what these captors are telling them just being led by the nose to wherever to the slaughter and people never like this is true in history they just go they just went along because why maybe because they they feared a worse fate or they were promised something but why would you ever accept the promises of these horrific thug master people i I don't know. It's something that's always bothered me. You see it in this movie where he just like meekly goes with the guard to his death, meekly goes and gets gunned down as if he's like, well, I've done all I can for my boy. It's time for me to die. I, 
it, does it bother you guys this 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 aspect of humanity um yeah let me the the, the yeah um the character though that did you know the kind of act contrary to the general theme which you're bringing up is the uncle the uncle saw this way before you know he saw this years before when his uh you know the his house you got know, vandalized and uh you know at the at the um, pre-wedding party there when he when he carries her away at the horse when they paint his horse and Achtung Cavallo Ebreo you know Jewish horse uh, and Roberto Benigni is like well, come on that's you know they're, 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 that's not there's nothing how how can they know they're just a bunch of jokers they can't know like you know the horse was Jewish and yada 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 so he is constantly downplaying this as it's going on, you know, but the uncle knew the uncle saw what's going on. He knew it all the time. He was just too old and weak to actually fight back for anything. I mean, he knew that he was good stepping on the train that he was going to not last. Uh, so yeah. he saw this, but Roberto Benigni, I think would be more kind of like the blue pilled person, right? Kind of the joker. Ah, no, this is nothing that, you know, it's just a bunch of jokers trying to, you know, play tough and you know don't worry about them this is not gonna happen to me but he says he says it you know you better get used to this they're gonna come for you too the uncle tells him this and he's and he's trying to downplay it and joke it away yeah but that's so he uh, he the uncle kind of sees it's his he's more um you know he sees through this completely he's he's the red-pilled character in, in in the movie and he's the one that dies as soon as he gets to the camp it seems like um so yeah, and and uh, Roberto Benigni is completely in denial to what's happening. Even even at the point he's trying to explain away to his kid, when there's this other store that they want to go into, it's like vietato ingresso agli ai cani, Jewish people and and dogs can't enter the store. And he's asking, uh, why can't the Jewish people and dogs enter the store? And it's like, well, I mean, you know, they don't want everybody there. Maybe they just don't like Jewish. I and mean, the other day I saw, you know, a store where camels and Spanish people weren't allowed. And what should we uh, ban from our store? It's just like spiders and, and you know, some other kind of... Kangaroos. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> so, yeah, he's completely clueless and in denial of what's actually happening. And he's constantly downplaying it until it's too late. And you can see this happening right now. Oh, what are you talking about? If you're a conspiracy theorist, just wear the mask, you know, or just social distance. Just do what they tell you. Yeah, and 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 you're going to say that too when you're in the boxcar. Just do as they tell you. Yeah, I was I watching mean, this movie, taking yeah. notes for like yeah. how to how to handle the, being in the camps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you see how this can be applied. That mentality that he has, kind of this joker who doesn't take it seriously that they're actually after you and trying to, um, you know, eventually murder you. Um, and he's not, he's just not taking it seriously. And he, he seems to think that everybody who thinks that way, like his uncle, for example, is just a little bit crazy and you shouldn't really take him seriously. You know, yeah, just, I mean, you're, just, yeah. He had hatched a bit of a plan or at least a, a hopeful happenstance when the doctor who was a guest at the hotel when he was uh, serving him and, and doing these little brain teaser kind of mm -hmm. riddles, mm -hmm. 
and he had thought that that friendship forged years before and him being asked to serve in their, um, you know, in the camp, like commissary area or whatever, like where the Germans were was sort of like an inside invitation to help with his escape or save Mm -hmm. him and his son. But that guy, no, he didn't view him as a friend. He just viewed him as like this plaything, like this, yeah. oh, he's interesting and he, we exchange riddles and he doesn't think beyond that. Right. So it's almost this NPC style like relationship, very shallow. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it doesn't seem to connect that, no, this guy's about to die. Yeah. Almost his hand, you know, like he, yeah. he's like a, a doctor, I guess, running experiments or, yeah. you know, doing whatever kind of like running these camps. And, uh, yeah, he just, I don't know, it, it, it seemed like Roberto Benigni was really counting on that relationship yeah. to, to save him. And then when he realized, oh, he's just oblivious. Um, we're on our own, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he was completely uninterested in helping him. You know, he was like angry that he couldn't solve the riddle. <laughs> That's what he was angry about. They wanted to talk to him about, oh, now you can go back to your bunk bed in, in your in your barack, what do you call it? The kind of like the trailer boxes put up for them to live in, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it's just so, so incredibly evil. But that relationship was also hilarious when you think about it. Like, he didn't care. He didn't care at all about, about uh, uh, Guido, you know? It was just mm-hmm. his kind of like former uh, server friend. Uh, it's, it was just how gr- it's just totally grotesque and it was that's what makes it so funny yeah yeah and that guy was like full-on autistic he didn't have any sense of the weight of the situation he was just yeah interested in in his own little world which yeah no no empathy no yeah. uh, outside <laughs> perception really um robert you had asked about like father of the year scenario what about the mother because she wasn't going to go. Uh, she, like, she wasn't being rounded up. But she insisted on not letting them go without her. Even though she was separated from them and only saw them for a moment. And Roberto was, Guido was doing all of these, like, grand gestures with things that he was able to, uh, you know, almost things that fell into place for him. Like, being able to play the record that was the opera that she was familiar with. And he played it out to the courtyard and he also got on the loudspeaker and said a few things to her. So like, I, I guess I'm, I'm asking about the, the wife, like she didn't have to go, but she basically insisted on going. Was that a noble act? And do you think that that, I mean, it probably wasn't like the wisest thing for self-preservation. Probably not, but I cheered it on. I was like, hell yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. That's that, that would have been me. That would have been, I mean, I, maybe unless I had some other idea of in getting their escape, you know, or something like that. But, you know, if I love with my whole heart and I have these two people that are my world, then, yeah, I'm living and dying with them and we're going to do the best we can. And I'm getting on that train, too, um, unless I could you know, do something better. But so, yeah, yeah, I was a big fan of that move. Um and it worked out in the end for her, although she didn't do much. And that was my big problem with her in this movie was that, you know, I think you can enjoy the film and it doesn't without really believing in the romance. 
But the the entire this movie spends a whole lot of time on the romance. It spends at least about the first half of the film selling you on this romance. And for me, I think that Benini did a dozen things to enamor himself to the female. But I didn't think that she did anything to enamor herself to him other than being attractive, being nice, and being open to his advances. I didn't see her do a whole lot that made me think, oh man, yeah, he should totally get with this chick. Like, I, I, can't, I hate going back to the classic, like, you know, love stories of old, but they almost always, there are always scenes where <clears throat> you, you understand why both of these people feel the way they do about each other. Now, in this film, I get why he feels, or she feels the way about him, but I don't really understand why he feels that way about her. Because for me, she's just kind of a prop in this film. She's just more of an object for his advances and his uh, romantic, uh, advan- you know, his brilliant little romantic moves. Like, he is a guy who will is basically throwing himself at her, who is organizing and orchestrating all these little scenarios where she's just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then she's like praying to the gods and then the key falls down and then she prays to the gods again or something like that. And then he gets a dry hat and, you know, feels like very magical for her. But for him, I'm just like, she could have been anything. She could have been a cardboard cutout. I I didn't really get a whole lot out of her other than her choice to go with them on the train. That I felt was a strong choice. I could feel why he loved her at that moment. But I wish the movie had given me more before that uh, to really sell me on the romance. I don't know how you guys feel, but um, that's that's how I feel about that. Daniel. Yeah, um, I I see what you're saying. Like she didn't have to do much. But um, I also think that often is the case that a girl doesn't have to do much guys to be interested. (laughs) Whoa. And we're telling the story of Guido here, I think, mostly. You know, he's the the main character. He's the star and director, and he's got all the choice material here. And I think that that having her be um, kind of almost a foil to that, not so bad, you know? Not so bad. I, I don't think she's terrible. I just, I don't, I think you need to sell the romance and have both characters have something, see something in each other to uh, really stoke that flame. And for me, it didn't happen until, you know, the train scene. And then, yeah, anyway, before that would have been nice. Yeah, she has, uh, you know, the female just aura, kind of like attractiveness, beauty that he's obviously obsessed with, right? I mean, this is why he's, he's courting her so, so, so badly, you know, all the time, persistently. And that's what we're focusing on the courting, the natural courting relationship between the man who is uh, has to prove himself to get the woman that he wants, which is like um, uh, a beautiful, a beautiful woman. And I don't know, it's perhaps, you know, the time that they live, there are just certain expectations to have on women uh, that perhaps, you know, that they, they don't, they're you know, expected to have have certain characteristics and 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 skills and and whatever that makes them what they are. And but they're really the man that is supposed to do all the work in you know this courting relationship mm. that exists. So right, yeah. but no, I mean, I see, I see what you're saying though. Like she doesn't show 
anything ex- except responding to his tricks, kind of like with the R, like, well, how did you do that? That's crazy. And how did you just get that dry hat when I, when I, you know, uh, pray to the Virgin or something like that? Um, which to me is kind of absurd. I mean, why would you pray to the Virgin? She's not, she's not Jesus, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it, it's definitely seems more akin to an old fashioned male doing all the effort and courting the woman. And we're just kind of left to assume that this woman is very desirable. I mean, clearly she's beautiful in this and that, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think more modern takes on romances I've enjoyed where the woman's also doing clever, saying clever things or being very cute and adorable and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Looking for the the Meg Ryan style. Yes, I was grown. I was born on Meg Ryan and I will die on Meg Ryan. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. This is (laughs) I just I want my female love interests to be interesting or funny or charming. You know what I mean? I mean, she has a certain amount of charm, but it's really Benini is the star of this show. I mean, I think we would all agree that, right? I mean, this yeah. is he's in almost every scene and he is the focus point of every scene. Well, and, and would, she doesn't she doesn't rebuff him and she is a little bit flirty with him like she's not like turning away his advances. She is being a little bit playful with him and she's in a relationship. This is also true. Indeed, with uh, the local bureaucrat guy that Yeah, doesn't I like knew Benini. I knew that guy would get your goat, Robert. When uh <laughs> Guido goes there to uh, try to open up a bookstore and the secretary is like, oh yeah, it'll take like two years and you need to get approval from this guy. And uh, you know, you'll get that in a few months. And he's like, well, he's right there. I, why can't I just get it right now? And so then he goes and tells to ask him, he says, can, can you just do this now? Can you sign this now? And he says, oh, well, I, I leave at two o'clock. And he's like, it's one fifty. <laughs> so it's that bureaucratic nightmare, you know? And, and I, when I was watching that, I was like, Okay, it's funny how modern day progressives will say that we just need more regulation to tamp down business and whatever. Well, that's what was happening in this. That's more regulation. That's preventing somebody from doing something that would provide value to others without the blessings of the state. And that's, you know, this is fascistic Mussolini Italy, right? So all those people who are championing more regulation are essentially asking for more fascism. And uh, I thought that was kind of um, yeah, ridiculous and funny. Yeah, and yet they claim to be the anti-fascist. It's it's really funny. Yeah, yeah that, was, Italy, that was you can see this still. You know, there's this residual bureaucratic inertia that exists. I mean, it's incredible. Like this is yeah, yeah. That's that's how it works. You know, it's like this is this is play out. This is not. This is real. You know, they say, oh, I leave it. I leave it one. I leave it two. You know, because then you go home for like. Uh, two or three hours or something like that. And then they come back maybe for an hour or two to uh, sleep off the, um, the drunkenness during lunch. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, this is incredible. This is why you have like major part of, of the Mediterranean economy is like black markets because you have to work right. around, you have to work around the government. The government's not giving anything to you unless you, you pay them a lot of stuff. And so you, what you do instead is you kind of, you bribe some bureaucrat and say, hey, you take this and we have a deal here. You're not going to come and inspect my, my stuff, my business, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you a little bit something on the side. And that's how it works. That's how it right. works. And, and this yeah. is, yeah, this is famously led to the rise of the mafia, right? Yeah. Where people go to the local Don who can actually get something done, yeah. right? Who has the politicians in his back pocket to actually allow the guy to open the business. So you seek favors from the local Don to actually get anything done because otherwise you're stuck in a bureaucratic 
more ass for who knows how long. So yeah, yeah they take uh, away they they uh, you know when the government failed to take away the trash from the streets in Naples, the uh, the mafia st stepped in and cleaned up the streets. You know, so this uh, they uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. This is how. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. It. Competing governments. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are uh, actually running up against time here. So uh, does anyone have any final notes or points they want to bring up before we get into the final summary review portion of the show? I, 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 I know that, Robert, you're big on setups and payoffs, and this was in abundance. And I, I knew that that uh, bureaucratic uh, busybody would, would get your goat a little bit. So if you want to tee off and rant on him a little bit harder... Uh, I'd be fine with that. Well, you loved the, this is basically the, the romantic competitor who's not a competitor. So this reminds me of the, this guy reminds me of the same guy in the same character, essentially in three idiots where he's just this kind of oh, yeah, popular yeah. superficial guy that, I guess I'll marry this girl because we grew up together. I mean, we've been around all each other all the time. So she's kind of my girlfriend, I guess. I don't know. We just decided to get married. I guess it's the kind of thing. And she's looking for more passion, more real romance. You know, someone who really cares about her and really sees in her what she believes about herself. Um, so, yeah, the guy was a total tool. He was fairly superficial, easy to hate. You know, the classic classic romantic foil villain. Um, and then he was also a, a, a lazy bureaucrat too on top of it. So what's not to hate about the guy? Um, <laughs> there's also the scene where it really illustrates like the banality of evil, where they're doing that calculation issue problem around the, the dinner table and where they're discussing oh, yeah. about how much it costs the state to feed cripples and how much better it would be if we just killed them all. I mean, just get rid of them. What, why, why are we waiting? It's like a, a weight around our necks. Let's just murder these people. I mean, come on, they're undesirables. And it's, it was all about the, the efficiency and the mathematics of it and not about the humanity and the morality of it. It was and even that, more than that. It was, it was, they were questioning whether it was an appropriate uh, level of problem for like seventh graders for, for kids in school. And right. not that it was about the subject matter about killing people, just that it was, too big of numbers like that the math was too hard for them yeah the morality never they never questioned the type the morality of the question itself like the ethical dilemma posed here that was never even questioned you know it was more like well it's just too difficult of a calculation for but, but the germans they do it for seven-year-olds they do it for and and she's like yeah that's another race you know like they're so much above us we need to reach their level kind of thing I mean, it was just—it's uh, just so absurd. You, and and yes, the banality of evil, like the how how numb you can become to to these things, you know, when when you're so incredibly brainwashed to believe certain narratives um, presented and uh, perpetuated and pushed by the state through all channels possible, through education, through the media, through through the academic institutions, and on and so forth. And, uh, you know, you can certainly draw parallels to that today. Um, we're not yet talking about, you know, killing people like this. But, you know, you, you see where this could end up um, if you're not careful. But, but another, another scene that has to be mentioned is the fake language, is the fake translation in, in the camps when they arrive. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. That's just the most brilliant. And then it's like, 
Uh, don't ask me any questions. Don't ask me. Ask Bartolomeo over there. He, he, knew, he knew exactly what he was saying. He was, I mean, it was just uh, amazing. Like, I love that scene. That's that's my favorite scene of the whole movie. Not because it's it's significant in any way. It's just because it's so... It really shows how, how much he cares about his kid and how incredibly uh, creative and spontaneous and talented he is with his street smarts. You know, like, that's... It's amazing. Yeah, he almost had to do that because... If anyone else went up there to translate, then the kid would have known what's really going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I, I lost forty points because I, I wanted that bread with the with the jelly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, so, yeah. All right. Well, very good. Well, um, I think that uh, is about all of my notes as well. So, Robert, you want to kick us off with your final summary and review, and uh, what do we want to rate this out of? Like. Um, how many how many uh, seconds tanks. get served? Number of tanks or how many seconds get served at at, at a meal of seven? Yeah, I didn't even understand those riddles. Really, they were just I don't I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too stupid. I don't. Maybe they're older. I don't know. But um, I'm gonna go with uh, pretend tanks out of ten. Okay, we can do that. Um, so life is beautiful. Um, you know. I, I know that I would probably find a whole lot more to like about this film if I understood Italian, if I watched it in the original language and understood it. Um, there's Like Olaf is saying, there's probably a whole lot of subtext and nuance that I'm missing. Absolutely. A whole lot of lost in translation issues. But to me, as a just an ignorant you know, foreigner trying to be entertained, I found it to be a quaint throwback to an older time, an older style of filmmaking, an older style of comedy. At, I think maybe there's still an audience for it. Apparently there is. Um, although I tend to think that the Academy Awards are really just a bunch of people jerking each other off. But maybe there are, I mean, I, I, I tend to prefer more of an audience score in general. Um, I don't always agree with the audience. I, I think uh, I think in this sense, I, I tend to agree more with the critics. But you know, uh, I think there's a lot to like about the film, um, but it's it's not an ideal film for me. Uh, so I, I I would have to give this movie like six invisible tanks out of ten. Or if we want to go with, uh, yeah, what were the the American tanks there at the end? What was that? I forget. A Bradley? Yeah, Bradley no, those tank? are those are more current ones. Sherman. Uh, Sherman. Sherman. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Sherman. That sounds right. Okay, um, yeah, I'll give it six-inch visible Sherman tanks out of ten. Um, and again, that's just for a personal preference. Obviously, uh, if this movie hits you harder, you're going to like it a whole lot more. But because uh, it, it has the potential, right? If if you're more familiar with the style, with the the culture, you're gonna you're gonna appreciate this more than uh, some ignorant foreigner will like me. So uh, six out of ten. Um, although probably I'll, I'll put a plus after that. Six plus out of ten for uh, anybody else that's a little more uh, cultured and appreciative of that kind of thing than me. Okay, so so the, the low number is actually a result of your lack of sophistication. All right, I got it. Correct, correct. <laughs> okay, well, I uh, also enjoyed this film very much. It did feel very foreign, um, and I think that's just the presentation and the style of it, not just the languages being spoken. And to Olaf's point, I'm pretty sure that if I understood Italian, that I would get a whole lot more out of this, a lot more nuance and a lot more of the humor and uh, what's going on. But with what it was, 
Um, I did enjoy myself a fair amount. And uh, I think that the first part of the film with all the setups and payoffs is really well done. And it plays into the second part of the film where it makes it more believable with how he behaves in those dire circumstances. And I think it's almost necessary to have that stark contrast between the first half and the second half. And I think it plays out really, really well. Um, I think it's poignant at the end uh, that the father cared so much for his son that he protected not only him physically, but also him mentally uh, so that he could survive uh, through this and, um, and uh, come out and like live a fulfilling life. So I think it's a, it's a very good story and it's well done, well acted. I think that he deserved to win uh, the Academy Award. And uh, I know, you know, I don't necessarily have like high opinions of uh, the Oscars and, and how those happen. But um, I think if you are going to recognize a great performance, uh, this is one that's worthy of it. So I'm going to give it out of a thousand points to win that invisible imaginary tank. I'm going to give this uh, 750 imaginary points. So that that's my rating out of a thousand. And we'll go to Olaf for your final summary and review. And you can give it a score however you'd like, sir. Yeah, no, it's fine with the tanks. Um, Cause that's, yeah, who wins the tank at the end? The American come come comes in, and 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 it's not a movie, you know, that that kind of like, and I'm I'm happy. Had this been like an American movie, I would have been like bombarded with this kind of, you know, American exceptionalism, nationalism. That would have been very annoying to me. But this only kind of like shows a little bit at the end when they're when they're coming in when the Allied forces, you know, invade and wars in Germany, you know, Germany loses basically. Um, no, but this. Yeah, I think uh, Roberto Benigni is doing a terrific job in in this movie. I think his character is very well developed. Um, it's it's very much so. It reflects even him in real life to a very large extent. He doesn't have to play somebody he's not. Like he is that person. You can you can see it. Um, and yeah, there are certain things that. Uh, it's so hard to 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 explain and translate like the way they speak in the in the Florentine dialect when they omit the hard C and kind of put an H sound on the words. It's just a, uh, it's it's another it's another experience completely. Um, no, I would I would give it. Uh, uh, I'm gonna give it not nine and a half. So nine hundred fifty out of uh, out of a thousand. I'm gonna give it nine, nine and a half. That's that's how much. Like I, I saw this, and I think you know. Yes, I don't, I don't, I like the Oscars and I think it's, but I think it was better before when they, you know, I think over time it has progressively become worse the more of sort of a political position they have adopted and mm -hmm. become more aware and more um, intense with that. Um, the worse it has become, I think it was a little bit better, you know, before the millennia. Um, so I think yeah, they probably did, uh, did the right thing there. I don't think had that movie been produced today, I don't think it would have received such a high, uh, high praise from, from these people. Um, so that's, that's something. And I'm happy that, that it did uh, get the recognition it deserved at the time because it, it really did um, make, uh, uh, you know, success everywhere. And I think it was uh, very well, very well done. All right, very good. Well, so you don't quite win the tank, which uh, I'm a little bit surprised, Olaf, because uh, earlier you were telling me that you just watched the film again, and it's such a, a beautiful film. It's yeah. just incredible. Yeah, so, yeah, no, but it's like I can't rate something to perfection. I think this is the closest to highest rate uh, score that I would give to any movie, because yeah, you get per perfect movie that doesn't exist. You know, humans are flawed. Humans are full of sin. 
so I don't think they can make perfect things. You have to uh, you have to recognize that. So I'm never going to give a perfect score to a something that is produced by by mortal humans. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I think we, Robert, you and I gave a ten to Casablanca, maybe. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's been pretty much the only perfect movie that we've done. Although we've given a, a fair number of high high scores, I think in this past year. Yeah, yeah, I think we're trending up. I, th I think we're getting soft in our old age, less critical. <laughs> Your old age. <laughs> it's like, you know, the lockdowns make you feel really old. <laughs> oh, man, I've lost all concepts of time. It's, yeah. uh, it's pretty amazing. But speaking of old age, uh, next week, Robert, we're going to be doing a movie where age is a significant factor. In fact, on your 30th birthday, I think it is, uh, you better start running, son, because uh, they're going to put you down as a population control measure. We're doing Logan's Run with returning guest Dr. Dennis Foster. He was last on also talking about Nazis, oddly enough, uh, with Conspiracy, which we did, um, what, five, six months ago. And that was a movie I was nervous to do because I'm not sure like how to talk about that kind of stuff, sort of like tonight. Um, without, I don't know, getting banned or sounding like a terrible person. But I think that we pulled it off in that one. And I think we pulled it off tonight. Um, similarly, you know, to how they can make a movie 25 years ago and talk about something. I, I, again, I think it's it's harder to do these things today. Um, but anyway, Logan's Run next week. Dennis Foster. It'll be good. Yeah. And I think that's another movie that's being talked about for being remade. I don't know. Uh, it's probably, I think they could probably, I don't know if, I mean... I've seen Logan's run. I'll rewatch it again for next week's show. It's, I think it's better a concept than it is a film. And I could yeah. be wrong. It, it definitely shows its age. I think it shows its age. And I think it's, it's right for a remake. If it's, if it could be done well, it could be, it could be a real thing. Cause it is a strong concept, right? A society where they kill you because you're too old is, uh, is a fun one. Not not in a like we actually. Yes, it is. It's fun. fun. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun, Daniel. You're not gonna convince me otherwise. Come on, let's do it, everybody. Uh all right. So anyway, uh Olaf, it's been a lot of fun. Uh speaking of fun, having you on. And uh you are also on for Ella King, the Purge, Spirited Away, and Snowpiercer. And we'll have links to all of those on our show notes page at lastnighters.com slash one six four. And uh, of course, we'd love to have you back on. Uh, sometime in the future uh, we're booked up for the next couple of months but um if you've uh, got another one maybe another miyasaki or something like that i think that would be great i know that you're a big fan of his um and you're fun to talk to anyway so um anyway speaking of talking to olaf we're going to continue to do this in some of the patreon bonus content which we call kathleen turner overdrive so you guys can find that on our patreon page go to lastnight.com slash patreon to get in on that as well as our pre-show content which is most mostly just me showing my age again i'm trying to get this uh, whole apparatus to function properly so that's usually 15 20 minutes uh burned um before we get into doing the show but anyway it's well worth the dollar or three dollars or however however much it takes to become a patreon supporter of ours right robert right technically yeah that's right daniel you are correct <laughs> sir <laughs> that's right uh you got any uh final words for our audience a lot before we get into that kathleen turn overdrive uh no but i i would say this if you have to watch the movie i would suggest like i i get i get it's you know you don't understand nobody understands the language but i would recommend watching it with subtitles as opposed to the dub version mm. i think that's yeah yeah you, you it's, so you're at least hearing the yeah you you difference. can hear it and 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 yeah it, i i even think that's that's uh that's as close as you can get 
and uh, what are you reading if you if you're comfortable with that. If, if not, if you find it, you know, troubling, you have to keep reading the subtitles all the time. I mean, I grew up like that because we watched everything in English in in, in Sweden, and everything had subtitles, so it's not really a problem. But but uh, I understand. But I I would recommend it though. Like if you can watch it in the original language and put on the subtitles, it's it's a it's a great it's a great way. All right, sounds good. Well, you heard it here, folks. Listen to the uh, Italian and read the subtitles, uh, or you know, you could learn Italian and then and then watch it. And that, that's yeah. the other option, of course. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Olaf, and thank you, our audience, for for joining us for this one. And we'll see you guys all next week for Logan's Run with Dennis Foster. And with that, we'll say good night from last night, everyone. Peace out. <laughs>